Today we continue our sermon series on turning points, not looking at specific individuals like Abraham and Moses, but more at Israel's own turning point. And it is the biggest one of them all, the Exodus, God's bringing them out of Egyptian bondage. And so we listen to the latter part of Psalm 77 in which the poet brings to mind God's faithfulness. I will call to mind the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have displayed your might among the peoples. With your strong arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. The very deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies thundered. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the mighty waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. If you surveyed a random sampling of Americans asking them to name the single most important day in U.S. history, my hunch is July 4th, 1776 would get a fair share of votes. I mean, it's pretty hard to argue with that. Independence. We declared that we would not be under England's rule and that of King George. And if you want to picture the character in Hamilton, the musical, feel free. We would chart our own course. We would become our own nation. That is a major turning point in American history. If you surveyed a cross-section of Jews today and in ancient times, no question, the Passover. That's the holiday they celebrate every spring, roughly around our Easter time, in which they recall the Exodus, God bringing them out of Egyptian bondage. And so every spring in the homes, they celebrate Passover, and the youngest child present gets to say the question, what makes this night different from all other nights? And the response, we were slaves in Egypt and God brought us out. That's the background of Psalm 77. Now, if you did better in U.S. history than biblical history, let me give you the backstory. Joseph, the great-grandson of Abraham, is sold into slavery by his brothers who are jealous. They sell him to a caravan that's traveling and he ends up in Egypt. And he would have suffered greatly there, except through some cunning of his own and God's grace, he actually rose in the government there. And things would have been just fine, except there comes this verse early in the book of Exodus. There arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. You, you get it? Somebody new came to power and said, well, who are you? This happens in corporate America, a new boss, and the, suddenly you're not who you thought you were. Well, the people of Israel, they end up as slaves in Egypt under the harshest conditions. And then as Carla mentioned last week, God summons Moses to bring them out, to deliver them from bondage. That's what the Exodus is about. It's this deliverance from bondage. 
the biblical scholar Marcus Borg passed away just a few years ago. He used to say that there were two stories in the First Testament that are so powerful and formative that they don't just describe Israel's history, they describe the very human condition. He calls them macro stories, the exodus and the exile. We'll look at exile next week, but the exodus is this incredible story about bondage. I think about my friend Gina, who for years lived in an abusive marriage. She feared for her children, she feared for herself, and then she found the courage to get out. You know, a shelter and then subsidized housing and help from churches and family and friends. That's exodus. She got out of bondage. Or I think about my brother-in-law Dick in Texas. From the time he was a teenager, he battled pills and alcohol. I mean, sometimes he would have it under control, but he lived under that bondage until he overdosed and was found dead in his apartment. Because not everybody in bondage gets out. I read this great quote. If you live, wherever you live, you live in Egypt. That's what they said. Wherever you lived, it's, it's likely Egypt. You get it? I mean, there is bondage everywhere, all around. And if you are one of those people who is in bondage to whatever it is, God hears your cries, and we're here to help. But the thing about bondage is it's not just personal. It can also be societal, systemic, bigger than just our own experience. The folks at the Pew Research Center did this fascinating study. They asked a random sampling of Americans not to name the single most important date, but to name the 10 most important in their lifetime. What are the 10 biggest events in American history during your lifetime? Now, as you might expect, age made a difference. Older generations would say Pearl Harbor, World War II. Younger generations pointed to 9-11. But what really fascinated me was the difference among people of different race. Persons of color, according to this survey, said right at the top, 9-11 and the election of Obama, and right behind it, the civil rights movement of the 60s. White respondents, they said, yeah, the election of Obama, 9-11, and nothing about civil rights. Did not make the top 10. Well, it's because if you have known slavery, if you've known bondage as a people, you are sensitive to it. But if you're free, well, you don't have to think about it. Around Labor Day, the International Labor Organization released its findings. Roughly 50 million people in the world today are in slavery. It's mind-boggling. It doesn't even seem possible. But through forced labor, paying off debts, through forced marriage, and through human trafficking. And they said it's up 10 million in the last five years. 50 million people in this world living in bondage. And we who are free are encouraged to work on their behalf. I think about 
my friend Daryl Burton. Some of you know his story. He was in prison for 20-something years for a crime he didn't commit. And when these attorneys working for him got him out, he promised, he swore to God, he would work on behalf of those who still needed to be set free. That's why I love Jesus' first sermon over in the Gospel of Luke. Do you remember it? It's in his hometown of Nazareth. All of his family and friends are there. Everybody's so proud. There's the preacher boy. And he gets up and he reads from Isaiah that God has sent him to proclaim good news to captives and to set prisoners free, which is probably a reference to debtor's prison. How are these people ever going to pay off their debts if they're in prison? This was God's vision. It turns out that the book of Exodus, or the the word Exodus, isn't just the name of a book in the Bible. It's God's vision for humanity, a way out of bondage. In fact, the word Exodus just means literally a way out. And just yesterday, perfect timing, Carla and her husband Dave are over in Greece, suffering for Jesus, I'm sure, and she sent me this photo of a highway sign. And it, it, it's, just, it's perfect. I mean, of course, it's got English for tourists. It says exit, and then it has the Greek word, exodus. That's what it means. It's an exit. It's a way out. This is God's vision for humanity that we get people out of bondage, that people be set free. So some of you have heard me tell about how on some Monday mornings, a couple of us with some young guys, we meet for a coffee and conversation. Last week we met, we start at oh dark 30, it's insane, but you know the caffeine kicks in and then we ask questions and we get the ball rolling. So last week I said, okay, here's the question for the day, what is a church for? Well, I mean, there's a lot of answers, right? It's not like there's just one thing. It's fascinating to hear us thinking about all that a church can be for. The next time we meet, I'm asking a different question. It's a really interesting question. Do you think God is still active in the world? I mean, it it might sound like a dumb question come from clergy who are supposed to, of course, say yes, but seriously, do you think God's still active in the world? Is The exodus something God did, and it's on God's resume, but now God's retired, and, you know, I just don't do that anymore. Or does God still do something in the world? Now, there's two lines in this psalm that really complicate the question. There near the end, the psalmist says, "You, you led them through the waters, but your footprints were unseen. What does that mean? I mean, it's poetry, so I don't think I'd press it too far, like, say, God doesn't have feet, or if God has feet, they don't make footprints. But then there's the last line. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. See, if you ask, okay, do you think God's still active in the world? Some people would say yes. They can't prove it, but they'd say yes. And some people say, probably not. But this much is clear. God still does use people to lead people out of bondage. And I think about Oscar Schindler. So for the last couple of months, my wife and I have been streaming movies that we watched a long time ago, you know, like Steel Magnolias and E.T. Well, we finally said, okay, let's do Schindler's List. I mean, it takes a lot to watch Schindler's List. 
You remember the story. He's a German businessman. He's a member of the Nazi party. But that's just politics, right? He, he eventually, of course, saves roughly 1,200 Jews from extinction. But what I had forgotten is he does it reluctantly. It's not like he's noble. He's a businessman, and he's got cheap labor, and he's got to deal with the Nazis, and he's, he's doing all right for himself. But slowly, but surely, and reluctantly, he decides something has to be done. And reluctantly, he dreams and he schemes and figures out a way to get them out. And it got me to thinking, if the exodus is the single most important turning point in Israel's history, maybe the most important turning point in our lives is the day that we decide, reluctantly or not, that we who are free will work for the day when all God's children are free at last. I mean, what's a church for? 